0: Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast.
1: If you're struggling with drugs, alcohol, gambling or food, or concerned about somebody who is, Tune in to The Living Free Show on 3CR at 1pm every Thursday.
0: I don't know how I got there, and I couldn't stop it. I had
1: stopped expecting that anybody cared.
0: Never enough. I'm never enough. It's never enough. He's never enough.
1: That was the confusion.
0: Tune in to Living Free, stories
1: of recovery from addictive behaviour, Thursdays at 1pm on 3CR. Or listen at 3CR on digital radio or podcasts and live streaming on 3cr.org.au. Being able to centre myself and be okay in myself and turn my world around. Living Free. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kHz on the AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and we'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay respects to their elders past and present. This land was stolen. Sovereignty was never ceded. Each week on The Living Free Show, we showcase one of the many programs that assist in recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Uh, today I'd like to welcome Gab to the studio. Hi. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Um, Gab's recovering from a drinking problem uh, and drug problem uh, with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. So, Gab, typically we talk about growing up, the things that influenced you when you first got exposed to alcohol, where that took you. Um, what it did to your life, mm-hmm. and then why you th- thought it might be a good idea to seek recovery. <laughs> so, would you like to start with um with your early childhood and life as life as a kid?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, look, I am not from Melbourne. I originally grew up in the Mallee, uh, northwest Victoria, in a small country town, um, with a loving family: mum, dad, older brother, and older sister. Um. I grew up around drinking. Um, I didn't, you know, it was so socially acceptable as it is in Australia. Um, I have really fond memories as a kid of, you know, going to wine and food nights with my mum and dad and dancing around with their friends. And, you know, just, again, just being around alcohol in a positive, in my head, you know, positive light, you know, the seeing the connections, the friendships, Um and you know, seeing mum and dad happy, and you know, loving, you know, those social connections and things like that. So that was a big part of, of my growing up um, around drinking. I come from a my dad's an, an Irishman, so I've also come from, you know, a family of you know, my nan used to used to have a tipple of sherry, and you know, all those things were just so normalised for me and just so normal around around drinking.
1: Yeah. So uh, do you want to talk a bit about um, your siblings?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so I actually have an older brother and an older sister. My sister and I, there's nearly nine years difference between us. Um, and my brother and I, there's five years between us. Um Yeah, and so I always did feel a bit sort of on my own there. Were um, you the youngest? Yes, yeah, I was the youngest, sorry, yes, so yeah, yes yeah. I was the youngest. So um yeah, I always you know, my sister left home to go to university when I was still in, you know, primary school, um, when I hit high school in year seven, my brother was in year 12. Um, so there was absolutely brother-sister connection there, but, you know, th- there was a big age difference and big life difference. So I often felt like I was sort of on my lonesome there, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So did you have lots of friends?
2: I did. I had lots of friends. Um, and, you know, growing up too, I've always had – Lots of friends. Um, as I'm starting to discover, you know, I gravitated towards people that were sort of risk takers like me or, you know, like as I got sort of into my teens, you know, loved to party and um, – you know i growing up in the mallee you know it was all about football and netball so that was massive in my it was a massive part in my life and funnily enough my parents weren't really involved in that they weren't part of the football and netball club um they absolutely supported me playing sport but The culture where I grew up, and it still is to this day, is very much about, you know, you you play netball if you're female, you play football if you're a male, you then go to the club rooms and have some drinks, or you go to a club function. And that was my life, you know, through my early teens, um, for a lot of it, before I went off to boarding school when I was 14.
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah, I... I went to uni with a guy who came from Mildura ah, and yeah, yeah. went back, drove back to Mildura for his 21st. Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen so much alcohol in my life.
0: Yeah.
1: Bit, oh, my God. It, I think that was the first time I was ever violently ill the next day from having too much alcohol.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's um, it's very prevalent. But, again, I didn't know any different. That was just the way yeah. that it was and how, mm. you know, for me to be, I guess, accepted looking back on it now was, you know, all the cool kids were doing it. So, um, you know, I just wanted to fit in.
1: Yeah. Mm. So what's your early drinking experience?
2: Yeah. So (laughs) it's an interesting, I was, I've been thinking about this, um, especially over the last few weeks, funnily enough, because, um, I'd been hearing in the rooms a lot, you know, that people had this experience when they had their first drink, that they had this enlightenment, like that they were having this relief and that was certainly not my experience. So when I first, got drunk, Um, I was at a a friend's house and her older sister, who was a couple of years older than us, was having a girls' night, a party, and they were drinking, and they offered us drinks, and there's not a lot that I really remember other than the uh, the awfulness of vomiting up blue (laughs) kerakao. But I you know, got blackout drunk, and I vomited all night, and that was my first drinking experience, And, you know, on reflection and, you know, I never quite connected to people that were saying that they had this like, oh, I felt, you know, just at peace or whatever, you know, having a drink, it settled my nerves or whatever. I never drank like that ever. You know, for my first drink, I was a blackout drunk Um, and that was my first experience and that just continued throughout my teens and throughout my adult life.
1: Mm. Yeah. A lot of alcoholics talk about it tightening all the loose screws, so at last they feel like they fit in. Yeah. But you already fitted in.
2: Oh, well, yeah, it's it's something I'm still sort of working through um, because I just, yeah, I I certainly think it was a confidence thing. Like, you know, alcohol gave me the confidence to feel, you know, at ease. Um, But I was never there to to have, you know, a couple of drinks. So I didn't even know that sort of existed. I didn't know people could do that even in those younger days. I was like there to, you know, drink up and and get blackout drunk.
1: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I've also spoken to another person who I think she was at her um, cousin's party or something and she just kept on drinking until she fell off a chair.
2: Oh, I've <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably done that. <laughs> oh,
1: gosh. Stupid old age. So what did your friends think?
2: So, at, you know, in my teens, my friends were all doing it. That was just it, like I was no different. We were all the same at that time. As far as I can remember, Mm. you know, looking back at that now, that could just be me thinking that that was how everyone was. I don't really know. But my memory and my experience in my head is that everyone was the same Um, and everyone was drinking to excess and, you know, everyone was drinking whatever they could drink to excess, whatever we could get our hands on. Um, Yeah, so... Even, you, you know, moving forward past that, it was, just, it was sort of the same thing. I, I gravitated towards people that were like me. Mm.
1: Um,
2: so to me, it just felt acceptable and normal.
1: Yeah. Mm. Did your brother or sister get drunk?
2: No. So um, my brother and sister actually adopted. So um, there's a whole, whole other podcast <laughs> on that. But, um, yeah, we have a very unique family. My brother and sister adopted during the Vietnam War. So my brother's Laotian um by genetics, and my sister's Vietnamese by genetics. Right. Um, and no, they weren't, and they still aren't, that they never, you know, went down that path. And for me, you know, that was, that was again another reason why I felt like a really sort of black sheep, I think, because they just never were like, that, that was one thing I did notice mm. in the difference was, yeah. you know, my brother and sister were not like that, whereas, yeah. you know, myself and my friends were all like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so did your parents ever talk to you about your drinking? Not until my 20s. Okay.
2: Yeah, yeah. but certainly not in my... T- I mean, my parents were very much, you know, that was so good. They're such good parents. You know, they they were very much... They didn't buy me drinks. They didn't like me going to parties. Um, You know, they did everything that they could possibly do to protect me, um, you know, from the the big wide world. But, you know, as a teenager, I just, you know, knew it all and was, you know, sneaking out and doing all those things behind their backs. Um. So, you know, as far as I guess what what I learned was that alcohol was bad and, you know, maybe the conflict in my head was that I'd, you know, always seen it being such a happy thing and such a fun thing, Mm. you know, and that just in my head it was as a conflict subconsciously.
1: Yeah. Mm. Did any of your friends try and help you? No, not at that time.
2: (laughs) No, again, no, we were just all doing the same thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay.
1: Yeah. right. Um. So, uh, moving through high school did it affect your performance at high school?
2: um look, it did so i um it absolutely did. I was a rebellious teenager, but I was very smart um and i you know I hit sort of that thirteen fourteen and you know, I don't, I, I can't even really articulate it, but I didn't want to be at school. And I think I didn't want to be at school because my parents wanted me to be at school and do well. Mm. Um, But, you know, in this, I lived in a small country town. My dad was, you know, the local GP and everyone knew everything about me. So if I was drunk at a party or whatnot, yeah. you know, my parents always found out and I felt like I brought such shame to my family. Mm. And, Um, the opportunity came up for me to go away to boarding school and my brother and sister hadn't gone, but I really wanted to get out of, you know, and what I now know, even at that young age, what they, what they call it in the room is doing a geographical. This was my first geographical was I need to leave the, this town. So I went away to a boarding school um, which you know it was it was harder to drink there, absolutely, but it didn't stop us, and again, it was the same thing. you know we'd all drink together or we'd sneak out and we'd break the rules and have that adrenaline rush um but yeah, that was that was sort of the transition from I guess yeah, my first geographical of actually leaving my small town and going to a boarding school,
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes, um, so. I think I asked before about affecting academically so yes. oh, sorry. did you did you manage well, to finish year twelve I
2: did yeah. I did sorry I got sidetracked there because I was having a bit of a memory about boarding school um I did and if I hadn't have gone away to boarding school I would not have got there I would not have finished school yeah. um I you know I was already sort of showing you know I'd shown. Um, symptoms of severe anxiety when I was very young. So I'm talking like sort of two and two and three, I was showing signs of severe anxiety. Um, oh, you know, I was doing things, which I now know is a disorder, like pulling out my eyelashes and rocking myself to sleep. Mm. Um, so, you know, I was being treated at that time for anxiety and depression and I was, you know, self-medicating with the booze already in high school. So I've no doubt that that, um, you know, hindered, how well i did at school but for me you know finishing year 12 and you know doing okay and, and being able to progress from that was a big achievement
1: yeah 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 that's good yeah. uh well so we might take a short break there um we've got a first song up it's called mortal life uh, by sarah mcgregor
0: So Feel Good Choir,
1: Palmar, Pratik Sarov, Yaqui Vallejo's Sonidos del Alma,
0: and many more. We'll sing three songs for 3CR on Friday the 26th of August at One Mark Street, North Fitzroy. Come along and support Music Sans Frontier on 3CR and Melbourne's boldest community broadcaster. Three songs for 3CR. 7.30pm, Friday the 26th of August, One Mark
1: Street, North Fitzroy. www. B-O-I-T-E
0: dot com dot A-U The Boat, a 3CR supporter. A proud black man proud black man you should not wonder Strong Spirit First Nations issues Families, people and stories from a First Nations perspective
2: Mondays at 1 pm on 3CR. Proud
0: black man, proud black man, you should not wonder.
1: Welcome back. Yes, so the song we played was Mortal Life uh, by Sarah McGregor. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial, and 3CR on digital radio. If you'd like to listen to one of our many podcasts, you can find us on your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free and check out our website. You can also contact us via phone, email, or Twitter. Uh, Today I'm talking with Gab, and we're talking about alcohol abuse and her recovery through Alcoholics Anonymous. So, Gab, before the um, break, we were talking about finishing year 12, and -hmm. and then you went on to mention that you had anxiety from a young age, which I think is pretty common with alcoholics. Um, So do you want to talk about leaving school and what happened next?
2: Yeah, sure. So... um so I finished year 12. I did, you know, quite well. I was, you know, so happy and I'm still so very grateful that I got the opportunity to go away and, um, get the education that I got. I was straight in the car to Melbourne. I could not wait to get to Melbourne, um, I moved in with my best friend from home um, and I started doing an advanced diploma in advertising and I loved the creative space and the music space and, um, you know, coming to Melbourne from, you know, the country, even though I'd gone to a boarding school in a sort of big regional town, it was just a completely new experience, you know, nightclubs, proper nightclubs, proper festivals, um, just everything, you know, out there to experience and enjoy and, you know, drink, at um all came at me all at once and I didn't want to miss out on anything you know I just wanted to be a part of it all um and experience all those experiences and um yeah that that definitely for the first few years of my Melbourne life was absolutely a big part of it
1: yeah so you found your crowd at uni Mm -hmm.
2: yeah I did indeed yes (laughs) I did indeed
1: (laughs) so did that affect your education
2: No, you know, and I guess one thing, uh, you know, even just talking today to you, Bill, is that, you know, I, I, and I hate the term, you know, high functioning alcoholic, because you're not really high functioning, you're falling apart, you're unmanageable, everything's out of control. You're pure high functioning. Yeah, you're pure high functioning. (laughs) And, you know, I was always like that. I, you know, I did well. Um, I held down, you know, 40, 50 hours, you know, casual job. Um, I, you know, from the facade, I was doing super well and juggling everything. Um, but really I I wasn't at
1: all. Mm. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So were your friends close? Uh,
2: they were very close and, you know, I remember even times this is showing my age, but I remember, Um, My first year in Melbourne was when September 11 happened. And, you know, I feel like those sorts of things, you know, I remember where I was. We were at uni and we were having a – we had a break and we went across to get a coffee or something. And um, we were watching those televisions. And I think things like that, when those momentous occasions, you know, that – those friendships were just – I don't know. It it, it was – you, you know, you have that experience and it's not just a uni mate or, or things like that. You actually, as the years go on, you, you have that life experience. It's massive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, again, we all drank together. We all partied together and yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: um, so did you finish uni?
2: I did and I even went back. Um, so... In my 20s, I did, again, a couple of geographicals. I I got on a plane and went overseas and I think about that now and, gosh, how much that must have um, frightened my parents, you know, at at 19, 20 to get to jump on a plane and, you know, go across to London Mm. on my own. Um, But I then came back after the first trip and I went back to uni and I did four years. Again, I was really – I did really, really well. Um, I was actually the runner-up in excellence program at at Monash um and you know again it was just just that high functioning facade of you know working studying doing well but you know internally the depression anxiety was rife um yeah
1: yeah so did your alcohol affect your relationships
2: absolutely um and um, I know we'll get to the step work, but part of the step work in step four is you know looking at those relationships. Um, and for me, the relationships I'd been in with uh, with men they were all you know they were either had some kind of active addiction or I was trying to save them or I was trying to fix them um, and ultimately I would just drink more and then we'd either drink together or you know it became you know abusive or whatnot. It was just yeah it was it was not not great. <laughs> For the relationship yeah. no
1: yeah and again sort of thinking about what your parents thought Mhm. did they try and intervene at all in your life so i remember when i was
2: about i'm going to say about 24 and i'd come back from overseas and i was studying and i was working um in an industry that was a very big had a very big drinking culture um very big drug culture as well actually um but but you know, very visual drinking culture. And I do remember my mum and dad sort of saying to me, you know, or oh, we're worried or, you know, something like that. But, again, it just sort of went in and one ear and out the other ear, um, you know, because I just didn't think I had a problem. Yeah. <laughs> I just didn't think I had a problem. Mm. Did it affect you physically? Um, I mean, that's a really good question. I've never thought about it because I know how much – you know, it affected my mental health. I mean, physically, I mean, the vomiting and the, you know, that sort of stuff. But again, you know, I was doing things like boot camp. I was doing things like yoga every week, you know. I just, you know, from the facade, everything
1: was good. Doing everything right. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. So physical health, um, you know, not so much. I think, you know, I can probably thank my genetics for that. I did have some blood tests you know, recently and my liver function was amazing and I can't understand that. I, I I genuinely can't understand that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm probably the same. My dad drank from fourteen to eighty four. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> seventy years without any liver problems, so <laughs>
2: Yeah. something something there. Some
1: people some people have good good genes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um so did you um what was I trying to say when when did you think that the drinking's a problem? You know, at what point yep. did it become a problem to you?
2: Yeah, so in my late 20s, um, I had a partner who was a very, very heavy drinker. He was a binge drinker, so he didn't drink... Every day I was drinking every day by then. But, again, I was living in a share house and, you know, you'd come home and have a few wines or, you know, again, I was still working in the the same industry. So it was very common to have a few drinks. You know, the drinks trolley would come around, not just Friday night, but sort of any night you're working on a pitch or something like that. Um, And, you know, that relationship was, you know – We we just bonded because we drank, you know, we were like that. But, you know, it became really toxic. And I just – I was projecting and I thought it was all him. I thought it was him and his drinking. And I, you know, for a long time, you know, a couple of years after that, I was like, it was all because he drank too much. It's got nothing to do with me. Um, My mum got ill, quite ill, about seven years ago. Um, And – you know, a few things happened. I, I hurt some really close people to me and, you know, I knew by then that, that, you know, I was really starting to worry my family. I'd actually had a couple of accidents while drunk um, that had landed me in hospital, um, a couple of, you know, falls down the stairs and I then sort of reached out to a few friends of mine at the time who were drinking friends um, and said, I think i got a problem with alcohol. Um, but again, that didn't stop me at the time. I just was just, it, it gave me more of that guilt, shame and remorse, um, which in turn just started me spiraling down really, 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 really badly.
1: Mm. So I, I'm assuming it affected your work.
2: Yeah, it did. It did. Even though, you know, I thought I was doing everything and, you know, working all the hours and mm. You know, my ego was absolutely in play there. You know, I was the last one to walk out at night and the first one in the morning. But I absolutely like the, the fogginess of the hangovers every day. The, gosh, I was so irritable and I was so um, aggressive and agitated all the time. And, you know, I just thought it was everyone else's fault. And I, you know, I just cause like I'd come in like a hurricane um, and and just cause chaos. And I just thought it was everyone else around me. Um, and that was, you know, that was a big eye opening. once I started, you know, the journey in recovery that, you know, (laughs) a lot of it was me. It wasn't everyone around me. It was me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, The old blame and denial. (laughs)
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: (sighs) So what sort of help did you initially seek?
2: So, um, look, when I first shot that text out, um, you know, to some close loved ones saying, you know, I think I've got to a drinking problem. Um, I certainly didn't think I was an alcoholic. I didn't really know what an alcoholic was, but I knew that there was something not quite with my drinking. I um, I kept drinking. I kept spiraling down. You know, mental. my mental health was deteriorating really, really quickly. And I did become suicidal. Um, you know, I just I didn't want to live how I was living anymore and I just felt like, you know, I was so unlovable and I had so much ha, so, self-hate. Hatred towards myself, and I um I actually got um put in contact with a, a not for profit called First Steps in St Kilda, and that was my first start to I guess I my three and a half years off alcohol. Um you know I used a combination of you know anti drinking drugs, um and you know counselling and psychological help, um, which in turn you know, I didn't pick up a drink for three and a half years, um, but, you know, I wasn't fixing the problem. I didn't even know I had a problem. I just thought, you know, if I don't pick up a drink, it's fine. But ultimately, that just led to me, you know, switching uh, switching the witch there, and um, I started picking up. You know, other drugs like sleeping tablets and getting prescriptions for, you know, anti anxieties and abusing them. And then when I needed a stimulant, I would have a stimulant. And, you know, as long as I wasn't picking up a drink, I was fine. You know, I was doing great. Yeah. Um, which was certainly not the case. No. <laughs> at all. No. But I was very much in denial there.
1: Yeah. One of the other things we sometimes talk about is the vulnerability of women when using drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. So do you want to talk a little bit about the sorts of not not the things that you went through but the sorts of positions you put yourself in
2: yeah um look I do a gratitude list every day and I am very grateful to be alive um I totally believe that the universe has me here for a reason and and there's so many circumstances whether it was you know drink or or you know taking the wrong drugs and not knowing or you know that sort of ending up in hospital from alcoholism or just the dangerous situations i put myself you know overseas here you know waking up in the gutters and you know the just the the stress and worry of my family and my loved ones and also myself for not knowing what was going on again that blackout drinking um you know it's very very scary and yeah there was some scary situations in there um and again i'm so grateful that i'm now you know got recovery and that you know i'm i'm safe I'm really lucky.
1: Not going to be in that situation again. No,
2: never. No.
1: (laughs) Right. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. Uh, We'll take another short break. Uh, I've got a song. This one's called Song for a Sleepwalker by Something for Kate.
0: This month, Melbourne's beloved art house Cinema Nova turns 30 and is inviting you to celebrate. Revisit Cinema Nova favourites with a curated programme of popular features that Melbourne movie lovers took to their hearts, including Parasite, Call Me By Your Name, Ligon Street, Si Parla Italiano, and more. Tickets on sale now. Cinema Nova, Melbourne's favourite independent cinema
2: since 1992. A 3CR supporter. Waugh carries the stories of our ancestors, forever watching over us and protecting us. Join me, Taljam Chogo Edwards, for Balamoir, a journey of stories, yarns and music about freedom and survival from 2pm to 3pm every Thursday afternoon on 3CR 855 on your radio dial.
0: As I walk along on my dreaming track tonight, I can hear the voices of my elders. Their ancient sounds echo in my mind to the beat up clapstick and the dancing.
1: Welcome back. The song we had was Song for a Sleepwalker by something for Kate. And today, I'm talking with Gab, and we're talking about alcohol abuse and her recovery through Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, so, Gab, just before the break, we were talking about um, women alcoholics and, the, the I guess, the, the additional threat or mm-hmm. d- additional difficulties they put themselves in by drinking. So, uh, do you want to talk about why you sought help and, and what, what triggered that yep. decision?
2: Yeah, Absolutely. So, yeah, before the break, I was talking about how I'd had a sort of 3.5 years of, you know, off the alcohol and, um, you know, at, at that time too, I didn't I didn't know anything about alcoholism. I didn't know anything about addiction. I didn't know anything about anything um, to do with the disease. And, you know, as I said, it, if, in my mind, I just thought if I just don't pick up a drink, I'm succeeding. Um, and, you know, so all through COVID... You know, I I started substituting, you know, and using different types of drugs, prescription medications, um, and and other things to, you know, just control my drinking. And at the end of last year, I had a a relapse on the alcohol. Um, And they do say, and I know this very well now, that when you relapse, um, just, you know, before you pick up that drink again, you've already relapsed mentally. Now, I'd already done that through taking drugs throughout that, that time. Um, but I was also doing things like I was drinking non-alcoholic um, drinks. And for me, that is a big trigger. I can't do that anymore. Um, but, you know, I was going to the supermarket to buy bourbon and cola cans and um, to, to get the, the, the hit of bourbon and I wasn't even a bourbon drinker. so you know when I picked up that drink at the end of last year um, I had I had a bottle of champagne and then I didn't drink for another two months and then after Christmas it was all on um, and I went straight back down into that suicidal uh, headspace of you know I'm a failure, I'm a, you know I'm a terrible person, why can't I control this? Um, and I emailed, uh, my counselor at first, first steps, um, who has just been the most amazing support for me over, over my time and said, I need help. I think I need to go to rehab. And from there, uh, two weeks later, I was um, admitted into a 12 step rehab that, um, is the program is around the 12 step program, but around trauma counseling and getting to the core of. Why people drink or are addicts, and that's really where my journey started.
1: So do you want to talk a bit more about the trauma? Did you want? To... Is that too much?
2: Yeah, I think the trauma stuff. It, it again, that's probably another podcast. There's yeah. you know, that I think the one thing I really learned Um, if if the listeners can take anything away from this is they call them li- little teas and big teas, big traumas and little traumas. And mm. I, you know, my Like, I've had a great life. I've had an amazing life. Um, And I think for me, you know, it's that whole thing of, you know, looking at other people and going, oh, you know, I didn't fight in a war or my parent didn't die, my child didn't die, like those big, big traumas. Um, So I should be fine. And, again, Mm -hmm. that's where you just belt yourself up around that whole shame and guilt piece because you just think there should be nothing wrong with you. Why is there something wrong with you? Why can't you stop this? So for me you know i've learned a lot around that trauma stuff around especially as a child like if you if if you have an encounter of something that you think as an adult is completely normal as a child whose brain is developing doesn't understand that and you know you get a learned behavior of a fear or the anxiety that's mm. you can't control that as a child um so yeah the the that, to me, just even learning about those different things in there was um, so beneficial. And, you know, for me, the biggest thing about rehab was, you know, like I was broken, so I knew I needed help, absolutely. Um, and I had no shame in, in sending that email and booking myself in. But I walked in um, and I absolutely did. Uh, they took my phone. They took, you know, they take everything from you. And I remember sitting there going, I'm not that bad. I'm not, I can't believe I'm in here. I'm not that bad. Um, but you know, the support I had in there and I walked out and I walked into the first group, you know, sort of in the lounge room there and I started talking to people. And for the first time in my entire life as a 39 year old, I met people that were like me. Um, and I cannot even, you know, communicate the feeling of that, that all of a sudden I wasn't alone. It's Mm. just an experience I cannot describe.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's often called finding your tribe, I guess. Yeah,
2: hundred um, percent. Yeah,
1: and it's about being comfortable talking to people about yourself, whereas for the rest of your life you've sort of not done that, you've yeah. hidden it. Yeah. yeah,
2: absolutely. And for me, you know, in that rehab, you know, first and foremost, the program inside inside the rehab and that safety. And you know, it's like I I shared things in that rehab that no one in my life knows and you know and those people remain those people that know those things about me and vice versa Mm. um and the safeness and the safe space you have around that um and to not feel judged um yeah it was just a completely different experience and you know that rehab put me on the bus to my first meeting um and you know how grateful I am for that because I would never I, I had AA mentioned to me in the past and even through first steps i'd mentioned i was like no way am i going to sit in a room or in a church and talk about god and sit around with a bunch of old white men it's not happening um and that was my perception of it and gosh how wrong i could have been but you know i wouldn't have even had that opportunity to go into the rooms if if i hadn't have gone into rehab
1: Mm. so what did you find in the rooms
2: what did I find in the rooms? I mean, very, you know, a, a, bit, a broader group of people like me, um, people that got me, um, you know, people from all walks of life. Like, I have a laugh even about the rehab and, you know, the rooms are just a bigger extension of that. It was like the Big Brother house, you know, all, you know, mm. alcoholism, addiction doesn't discriminate. It's, it's, It can hit anyone um, and that was a massive thing for me going into the rooms and, you I was so taken aback and you know I, I had a lot of trust issues <laughs> um you know people being so nice and so happy I was like and giving me their number I was like oh go away um, but you know that saved my life and I'm so grateful um, to have that and just people sharing their experiences and sometimes I don't relate because it's a different but you know most times I do relate and it just makes me feel not alone and connected. And that's, you know, connection is the opposite to addiction. And it is absolutely, you can find it in the rooms, that connection.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, yeah I heard a guy um, that we interviewed saying that his first, he went to an NA meeting, I think it was. Yeah. And he said it was the first time he'd ever sat with a group of addicts. Yeah. And they hadn't been trying to rip him off or <laughs> steal stuff, him.
2: <right>? It's so <laughs> true. The honesty. Yeah. And the, oh, absolutely. And look. NA is part of my, my story as well. Part In the rehab, I was taken to an NA meeting as well. And I now, you know, I'm I'm predominantly part of the AA fellowship and my sponsor is AA. And, you know, I'm going through the book, through the AA big book. But NA is part of my program. I go to, you know, one or two NA meetings a week as well um, because it's all different experiences and there's different people and, you know... The, the reality of it all is people, you know, are there to to get their medicine in recovery and to help each other and to share um, their experience to help another person. And yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I, I've also heard that there's very few people who aren't poly addicts as well.
2: Yes, yeah. correct. And you learn that very quickly, you know, especially you know in AA um, as well. There's there's a there's a lot of cross poly, you know. And I didn't mention too, or I might, I might have, sorry, I can't remember, but you mm. know, I was a work addict. Oh my gosh, mm. that was my purpose in life. Um, and you know, now it's like, you just, I do identify as an alcoholic addict because I was an addict to a lot of things, you know, work to relationships to, you know, all the other things that people, it might not necessarily be a substance, but it was to get myself out of my own mind, um, so yeah, there's there's a big one there that you uncover as you're going through recovery for yeah. sure. Yeah, I
1: think it's I think it's about control as well. You're trying yeah. to control the environment, um, control the drinking, control your feelings, all that stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So in recovery now, you've been in yep. for what about? So I've been in recovery now for about six months.
2: Six so months. part of my story is I um I came out of rehab feeling pretty strong. Um I you know, was doing everything that I was told to be doing. I was going to a meeting every day. I had a sponsor. Um, But I was still feeling really, you know, I was just, I was still feeling all the feelings. And, you know, I went back to work a couple of weeks after I got out of rehab, and I was actually made redundant the day I got back to work. And they say, You know, do not do any – don't make any big life decisions in your first 12 months of recovery. And that one was out of my control. So I did have a lapse. I had a slip. I had one night slip, which I actually still to this day cannot believe it was only one night. And, you know, I remember thinking in my head that, you know, I just wouldn't tell anyone. I didn't want my day count to start again. But the next morning I woke up. Um, And I should also say that, you know, part of that was I I broke up with my original sponsor because it wasn't quite the right fit for me and i just picked up a new sponsor. So, you know, I didn't have the confidence to ring that person Mm. and, you know, the rooms caught me. I fell and that next day was the day that they talk about the the surrender. I was just like, I have absolutely nothing else to lose here if I keep going, I'm going to die. Um, I'm going to do everything you tell me to do, no matter what I think about it, like the meditation, the prayer, you know, I'm certainly not, you know, I don't come from a religious background and I'm not religious myself. And I just, I just was like... Do what I'm told to do, and it is making my life better every day. Mm. Yeah, to give up that control, you know, I can control my actions, but I can't control the outcome, and that's that's been a huge awakening for me. Mm.
1: And you can't control your thoughts either. That's the no, yeah. <laughs> you cannot. You just got to think again. <laughs>
2: that's why meditation is really good.
1: <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned um, your awareness that when you started drinking that you needed to do something. I think that's the the help of you know, being part of recovery, you're more aware of yeah. what's happening and you can't um, deny it or deceive yourself as easily.
2: Yes. Yeah, so they say that, uh, yeah, there's a saying and I won't quote it because I can't remember it and I actually think it's got a swear word in it, but it is, it is literally, it, it's so much worse uh, having yeah. a lapse or a relapse when you've got the knowledge um, mm-hmm. because you know that there is that help on the outside and that, you know, help has saved my life. The people in the rooms have saved my life. The fellowship, you know, I have service commitment. I've done everything that they, I was told, you know, whereas before I was, there was certain things where I was just like, no, 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 I can do this on, You know, I'll do bits and pieces. But, you know, those sorts of things have got me in the middle. And, you know, people look out for me if I you know, I was a bit rocky a few weeks ago and I was like, oh, I'm I'm not going to come to the meeting tonight, guys. And all of a sudden I had someone pick up the phone and say, are you okay? What's going on? And, you know, mm. the feeling of that, you know, they they say the rooms love you back to life and it is so true. It makes me really emotional. It's so yeah. true. Yeah. It's so true.
1: <laughs> yes. Um, now I was going to ask you one other thing. Oh yeah. What, is there any way you could reach back to yourself as a 20 early 20s yeah. person and say, look, wake up <laughs> to yourself.
2: <sighs> I often see those memes actually on social media where it's like, if you could say three, you know, three words to yourself, or whatever a sentence to yourself, uh, your younger self, what would you say? Mine would be, you know, alcohol destroys your life. Um, but even thinking about that now, you know, alcohol wouldn't have got me to the place where I am now, and I can see my life, you know, growing and things happening that I could never, would never have imagined, you know, especially even just to the point of going back into rehab where I just thought I was a broken human being and that, you know, I hadn't, you know, there was no life, I had no purpose. There was no yeah. life worth living. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for that 20-year-old South, you know, it, it's, it's – Oh, it's a hard one because you know I was so in amongst the um you know the partying and the and the alcohol. but you know if if you have that even that inkling or you wake up hung, hungover, you know, and you just have that thought of you know, oh, am I drinking too much? you know get on, do a bit of research. Um, you know, some amazing, imp- sober, curious influences now and things like that that I never had in my time, you know, drinking. There was no alternatives. There was no people looking at a different way of life. And mm. there's lots of alternatives out there. And, you know, talk to people and share your story and listen to your parents. <laughs> ah, Mom and Dad, I love you. Um, but, you know, just it, those sorts of things, those little things that I think I – you know, just absolutely went one in one ear and the other ear. Just that mm. whole stopping and pausing and actually mm. thinking about it.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. If
2: I had have done that, <laughs> I might, you know, I might have got into recovery earlier. That's, I think, that's the thing. You know, my yep. life was always going to have this path, but I would have got in there earlier, and and you know, it, things might have been different earlier, Early. better earlier. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's good. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Um, if anybody would like to find out more about Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, you can call them on one three hundred. or go online at aa.org.au for more information on recovery from alcoholism. That's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Gab for sharing her problem drinking recovery story with us and talking about how Alcoholics Anonymous has helped her. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much, Bill, for your time. I'm very grateful.
1: Pleasure. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll feature two members of a Western Australia drug and alcohol support group called Doors Wide Open. Coming up next, we've got Balanoir, The Spirit of War, hosted by Uncle Telgum Choco Edwards. Join Uncle Choco in the Spirit of War on a journey of belonging and movement through sing-alongs and yarns. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR.